In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Welcome everyone to the Underdog Show. We have an incredible, amazing guest here with us today. Emmy-nominated TV producer, an incredible human being that I have here with me today that I'm so honored. Bill Dolan, how are you, my friend? I am doing so well and so excited to be here with you, my friend. I'm so excited to have you, Bill. Your story, I just... And just your energy is so beautiful and radiant. I just can't wait to hear your story in full detail today. I've had some beautiful clips of it now and what you're up to in the world. But now we get to dive into it, which is super fun. And my first question to you is always the most loaded one. What led you on your journey to where you are today? I would say I stumbled into it totally stumbled into it. And if you say, what is my journey? I mean, we all have a journey, whether it's our, our personal journey or spiritual journey or career journey, but let me, I'll, I'll focus on the career journey because the spiritual and the family will emerge. I mean, I started out, you know, as just an only child in a blue collar family in Portland, Oregon. And it was during that time that uh, I experienced a lot of trauma as a child, you know? So uh, my father was diagnosed with something that was going to kill him. And he was in a lot of pain and he was fairly abusive verbally and physically. And it's just one of those things where I had to find a place of escape. And I found my place of escape in my room where I had a TV set. And I would get back then for those people who still read paper publications, we had a thing called TV guide. And I would read the TV guide and I'd see what movies are coming up. And that was where I just went to my refuge space. And as I read through the TV guide, I'd pick out the movies and that was my plan for the week. I would go in there. And as I did, I didn't realize it, but I was becoming a student of storytelling. I was becoming a student of film. I was becoming a student of episodic programming. And a lot of us actually have have become that only because of our media behaviors. But I was consumed by that so much so that uh, by the time I got to high school, I thought, okay, I think I want to be a TV reporter. Because that's the best thing I could think that maybe someone with my background and what education I could get, this is something I could do. But one day, the uh, senior head of the, the news department at my high school asked me if I could produce the senior closing program for the year. I said, sure, I'd love to, because I was doing news editing and all that stuff. And, and I started doing the process of pulling together images and telling stories and putting together a score. And it was so exciting. Even now, as I'm telling you, I'm getting chills because I remember it was enlightening for me to create something, but the killer, the most profound experience I had that started me on this journey was the day we showed it. And it was in the high school auditorium, about 1,500 kids, and probably like a lot of kids, you know, you might have had maybe one or two really close friends and maybe five or six in your circle or whatever. And then there was literally like the sea of humanity of faces that walk through the hallway every day that maybe were familiar, but he didn't really know. But that morning when we showed that program, the lights went out and I watched all faces go to the screen. And I started out with something funny. And 1,500 human beings laughed 
And then I took them on a journey. They uh, smiled and they reflected. And there was a point where I got to a poignant moment and they started to get tears in their eyes. And I'm standing on the edge and I've got tears in my eyes because it hit me that in that moment, I had the extraordinary privilege of touching these people's hearts in such an intimate way. And even though I couldn't put definition out at the time, I can look back and say, that was my defining moment. Because if my skill in using media as a resource to touch people's hearts, how can I make that difference in people's lives? What kind of difference can I make in people's lives? What kind of impact can I make in their lives? Mm-hmm. And I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And that began going to school and then studying television production and and then getting an internship, which is another crazy underdog story, uh, where the power of chocolate chip cookies led to an internship that actually led to a job um, and being hired as one of the youngest major market directors in the country at age 20. And then being mentored and trained and work my butt off, leading to really today is is having a creative agency, marrying my high school sweetheart, having a beautiful family. And I still get the privilege of using media, not just to touch 1500 lives, but now millions upon millions of lives. And uh, I absolutely love that. Oh, Bill, I adore your story so much. I was getting chills the whole time as you were telling it. Oh, this is so profound. And what I love is that you found this in high school. Yeah. I had your defining moment in high school, which is so profound. And to be able to understand that at that age. And you had mentioned that your early childhood wasn't the greatest. This was kind of your your refuge, right? And it says this was your way of, of coping with the world, right? It's kind of like your escape out. And a lot of people talk about that, right? When they're dealing with traumas and and different things is they find, you find your, your outlet and that could be either really good, really bad, right? Some people make poor decisions there. And I just love that you channeled that and you channeled it into your passion, which is so profound. Wow. Oh my goodness. I have so many questions for you, my friend, but that within itself is absolutely incredible. So what did you want to be when you grew up? I have to ask this question. Like when you were, when you were a kid, TV producer? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't think about anything like that when I was a kid. See, my father was a meat cutter and my mother was a nurse. Okay. Very interesting juxtapositions. I watched what my mom did and I was mentored by a lot of incredibly strong, brilliant women. And my mother was one of them who not only went to school to say nursing, but I attended her graduation ceremonies as she climbed up the ladder and tried to improve herself and improve her place in making a difference in her world, which was the world of medicine. And I just, sometimes you look at people and secretly, I'll tell you this, in fact, I write about it in my book. I believe that what drives most of us is the desire to love and be loved. And one of the greatest obstacles we have, the challenges we have, that one person that we want to love us the most is ourselves. And in many cases, the things we do and the things we're attracted to are really scorecards or validation that if I can get other people to love me, maybe I can prove to myself that I'm worthy to be loved. And I think going through what I experienced in, in school and in growing up with my dad, I, like everybody else, wanted to be loved. And what I saw in my mom was someone who's respected. I want to be like that. I saw someone who was smart. I said, oh, I want to be like that. I saw someone who was courageous. I want to be like that. And I saw someone who helped people. And I said, I want to be like that. And so early on, 
I migrated towards the idea of getting into medicine, maybe being the doctor. And that I thought, oh, that was going to be my thing because it checked all the boxes around little Billy being loved. And it was fascinating by science. Today, I'm still fascinated by science and medicine. But then I remember the same high school where I made that senior slide program that changed my life was also when I took my first biology class. Yeah, right. <laughs> I realized, oh man, I did not have an aptitude for biology. In fact, the thing that's interesting is you act about you ask about what I want to be growing up. I've learned, and I and again, I also write about this on a book, that there's this, I call it the authentic purpose compass that unfolds in your life. And a lot of us, we pray to God, like, give me a map, give me a map, you know, tell me where I'm supposed to go. And I believe that God and the divine answers it with a compass. And the compass has three points on it. The first point is passion. And it's real passion, not the false passion. What's going to, if I get enough eyeballs, I'm going to feel validated. Or if I become, you know, social media expert, I'm going to be validated. Or if I become a celebrity, I'm valid. No, it's what is a real passion? And then Combine that with what's your aptitude. And that was the obstacle I faced. I had a passion to be loved. Mm. And I had an interest in science, but I realized I didn't have the aptitude for it. And that's a critical juncture, I think, for most people, because a lot of us pursue our passions without aptitudes. And it breaks their heart every day as they run down this road facing failure after failure. And it's because a passion without aptitude is not a vocation, it's a hobby. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner you have the freedom to find what is that true type of vocation. And those people who have aptitudes for which they have no passion. And you see this in a lot of families where the parents are pressuring them. They go, oh my gosh, you're good at accounting. So you better be an accountant. Or you're good at this, you better be this. You're gonna follow in the family business. But we also find that people with aptitude without passion, all they have are jobs. But when you're able to find the passion and the aptitude, and then the third trajectory is really the reflection that comes with experience. What have you done that fed you? Or a question I ask, what feeds you and what bleeds you? Mm. You don't have to go through much life to realize there are things that bleed me. And sometimes we grit it and we do it for duty. But if we're living with our teeth gritted because we're constantly pressing through something that does not give us joy, that's a tough life. And my hat's off to those people that make it through life that way. But I want to say to all those people that are gritting their teeth right now, there's a better way. And it is that intersection of passion and aptitude and experience. And then the courage to go on that journey of discovery to find how can we manifest that? How can we live that? How can we discover that? How can we pursue that? And it's scary because it's going to be a trail of failures and missteps and all those different things. But just as you and I've talked about this, the light bulb wouldn't exist if it weren't for someone saying, I'm willing to fail hundreds of times to get to the right answer. And our willingness to fail is the courage that can be the breakthrough in getting you to the perfect place of your authentic purpose and your authentic journey. Amen to that, Bill. And I mean, so many people around the world now, I say that COVID really took the world and shook it, right? It took the world and it shook it. And I think in more positive than negative, right? So a lot of people now, because for the very first time, they've been forced to break out of their original patterns. They've been forced to reflect. They've been forced to pause, to really sit down and have the time to say, what am I doing? So many people have reached out to me and just said, I've sat here and I cannot believe 
that this is what I dedicated my life to. You know, so a lot of people are chasing that journey of purpose now. So you mentioning that compass compass is absolutely incredible because a lot of people need that right now. I remember theology, my senior year, my theology teacher said, and, you know, everyone's like, well, how are we supposed to find our purpose? How are we supposed to know what we're going to major in in college? Like, what are we supposed to do with our lives? What is happening? Right. And I remember my theology teacher said, well, here, there's three steps. I I just want you guys to think about these three questions. Don't overcomplicate it because it can seem really overwhelming, but just write it down. What does the world need now? Are you good at it? And can you make money at it? Answer those three questions and see where you go. And that's kind of always sort of stuck with me. It's very similar to what, to what you were saying. And because that, that passion as well has to be integrated into that without a doubt. But when you meet passion and purpose at the same time, oh my goodness, what that, what does that do? What does that do? And I know we, we have talked about your experience, how you were on an airplane and you had a pretty profound moment and moments following that in January of 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Can we, can you share that a little bit, Bill? And what happened well, sort of, cause that sort of led you, we can sort of get to that in a little bit, but mm-hmm. let's talk about your chocolate chip journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know the chocolate chip story. I love yeah. the chocolate chip story because it's really important for your, you know, to to let everyone know how you got to to where you are, right? So, okay, how'd you get that? Because media is so difficult to get into. I remember when I was in LA and I was just trying to like say hi to different agencies when I was there, and everyone's like, "Oh no, no, you need yeah. an appointment." <laughs> like, yeah. who am I supposed to talk to? I don't know what to do. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's a very closed industry. So, so that's why I'm saying, you know, you, you broke in there. So chocolate chip well, story. <laughs> well, you're right. You're right. It is a closed industry because remember what I said about people, really their desire to be loved uh, is, is a big driver. And the thing about the entertainment space or television and media is that we see people in this industry and they're all like looking good and cool and smiling and whatever. And we think, oh, I want to be that because if I have money, if I have celebrity and a bunch of people know me, boom, my life is going to be better. And so there's this, I would say, artificial passion to be in this industry because they think that the answer to their deepest desires will be realized if they get into it and are, are good at it. So we get a lot of tons of people uh, writing and saying, look, I, I want to be a writer. I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. I want to do this. And I think for those of us in the industry who have seen that, yeah, sometimes we put up these barriers because we're really looking for not the person who's really to walk through the door, but the person who's ready to break through the wall and climb over the wall to get here. Because that way, we really start filtering those people that are truly passionate about the industry, not just those that have an interest in making themselves feel better. So I remember when I realized that I wanted to get into this industry. And it was after my experience in high school that led to me starting to take television classes. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't go to a fancy university, anything like that. I started out at a junior college and taking classes, but fortunately my instructor was a television director who had real world experience, which really helped shape a lot of my journey. And I realized, dang, I'm good at this. And I was validated by the instructor saying, you're really good at this. You are a a great director in your youth. And so it was with that, I remember thinking, where do I want to work? And at that time, ABC, this was before Netflix and all these other things, 
ABC was the coolest network on the face of the earth. It really was. It had all the cool shows. It was hip and all that. And I thought, I want to work for ABC. And one way would be the gateway through the ABC affiliate in my region. And I just remember holding that in my heart. I want to. And this is really important, the, the importance of vision. Because what happens is when you tap into something, you say, this is what I want. This is what I believe I want. It's amazing. There's something in our brain called the reticular activating system that allows us to sort through those things that are consequential versus inconsequential. And when you start saying, this is really important to me, your visual cortex and your mindset starts to open up to, you see things. It's like you see things you never saw before because you've heightened the intensity towards it. And of course, now I'm focused. I'm thinking about this. And a friend of mine who was actually in the same class got an internship at the ABC affiliate. And I'm listening, how'd you get that? Da, da, da. Now he was older, he was on the GI Bill, they were looking for mature people. Here I am, I'm like 20 years old. You know, I got one whisker. I mean, it's just very, very kid-like. But I was so eager and so excited. But I knew I was good. And so I talked to my friend Don and he said, well, hey, I can maybe get you to come in and sit in on one of the TV shows and when we're taping it. Really? He goes, yeah, next Thursday night, I got clearance. I can bring some friends over. This is incredible. Oh, I finally get to go into a real TV station. And then the more I thought about it, the more afraid I got. I thought, crap, what if I say something stupid? What if I do something silly? And you picture the producer going, get out of here. You'll never work in this town again, you know, kind of thing. So I went to my life advisor, my mother. And I said, mom, what do you think I should do? And she said, Billy, just be yourself which is like the worst, best advice you can ever give somebody, you know, because yeah, be you, be the best you you can be. But, you know, when you're young and sometimes when you're old, it doesn't matter. We question, are we good enough? Are we prepared for this? Are we going to do something silly? I mean, we get all these fears and I was wrestling with all that that I remembered. I don't know if you've ever heard of Famous Amos Cookies. Yeah. Okay. Famous Amos Cookies. Well, Famous Amos actually used to be a casting director in Hollywood. And he started as cookies because he would show up on the set with a bag of his cookies. And that became his signature. People go, hey, Famous Amos, whatever. And he'd pass out cookies as he'd greet people and work with people on the different casting things and roles he was working on. And I thought, you know what? I make really good chocolate chip cookies. That's also, I'll make some cookies. So the night, like an hour and a half before I was going to leave for the station, I went in the kitchen. And I made a batch of hot chocolate chip cookies and I put them in a bag and then it dawned on me, like famous Amos. And I took a Sharpie and I wrote on the bag, I put famous bills, excuse me. I put bills famous because they don't want to be famous, but bills famous chocolate chip cookies. And then I put a stick figure with a big cookie with a little caption that said, eat one. So I go, <laughs> I go to the station that night. And one of my worst nightmares manifested. I'm standing in my cookies. I'm 20 years old. And I walk into the station and it's not just me. It's two other guys. And there was Mike. Mike was another guy from the GIB. Older, tall, handsome, poised, confidence. And as soon as he walks in, he goes to the producer and goes, hey, nice to meet you. I really like your TV station. Your shows are really cool. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm rolling my head in my, I'm, my eyes in my head thinking, I can never be like Mike. I can never be like Mike, even though secretly I wanted to have his confidence. And then he turns to my friend, Jeff, who's the other guy. I was shocked that he was there. And he was the class, excuse the term, 
being respectful, but he was like the nerd. He was the engineer guy. Yeah. And he immediately started going, oh, look, there's the XY31 switcher. And blah, blah, blah. Like, gosh, dang, I can never be Jeff. He's like so smart. And then the producer finally turned, looked at me after hearing their little thing. And all I could get out was, hi, I'm Bill. Would you like a cookie? All I said. And the producer took the bag. And he could see that the outside was still a little warm. And he reached and he grabbed the cookie and that chocolate chips were still melty. And he took it by and goes, wow, these are really good. And he calls over the technical director. He goes, hey, Dale, this uh, kid from college brought in some chocolate chip cookies. You want some? He goes, well, yeah, bring them over. So I walk over with my little bag. And I hand it and Dale takes a cookie. He goes, oh, thanks. And he looks at the bag. Bill? And he goes, well, take one to audio. I'll take one to audio. We'll take one to the associate producer. And then he calls down the studio and goes, hey, there's this kid from college who just brought some hot chocolate chip cookies. Do you want me to come down to the studio and give you some? He said, yeah. And I get emotional when I think about it because I walk down the stairs and into the studio. And in the studio, this is the place I've been watching for all my childhood with people that were like heroes of the local television scene. And they're reaching over, hey, Bill. And I'm handing them cookies. And... I'm like, it's like walking into Disneyland type stuff times a hundred. I remember thinking, this is where I want to work. So I walk upstairs. By the end of the night, all my cookies are gone. And as I'm walking out, the producer says, hey, you coming back next week? I said, yeah. So the next week, wow. I come back, hot bag of chocolate chip cookies. Six weeks in a row, I come back, hot bag of chocolate chip cookies. And I'm not saying a lot. I'm just being professional and courteous and quiet and engaged and learning. And after that six week, the producer pulls me aside and says, Hey, Bill, he said, the summer is coming up and I've got a stack of intern apps about that thick. However, if, um, you know, everybody knows you here, you, you know, you're like family. If you'd like to be the summer intern, we'd like you to be our show intern. And I said, I'd be honored. So I became a summer intern and then I worked my butt off and I did anything they needed. I learned, I volunteered for stuff. And I did that while I was still taking some college classes and working to pay for college. But I, you know, it was hard, but I figured out what I needed to do. And after 91 days, they hired me. That officially launched my career in television. And from there, it was just being mentored by great agencies, great directors, great producers, working with incredible talent, and then traveling around the country and doing field projects. And that's, that's what launched me. And I just, I thank my mom for her advice. And I thank her for teaching me how to make chocolate chip cookies. I love that, Bill. I love that. I love that you walked in there and you were yourself, first and foremost. You yeah. were yourself. Those chocolate chip cookies spoke for you, right? That warmth and that desire and that happiness that you bring to the table were sort of symbolized through those chocolate chip yeah. cookies then your consistency and everything. So anyone who's listening right now that wants to get somewhere, somewhere that you want to be, do things a little bit differently. Be different, right? Just be different. Be yourself, which sounds so crazy cliche, but your mom was so right. Just be yourself and look at where it got you. And I think the law of reciprocity hit a little bit in there too. With the law of reciprocity, the more you give. Yeah. Right back. We gave, we gave a lot of cookies. And, you know, the, the other thing that I, I take from this, too, is I think like that 20-year-old Billy, you know, I was comparing myself with others. 
I was fearful of me not being good enough. And in front of me was something that I desired. And when you desire something that it's natural to have fear, because when you desire something so much, one of the things that sneaks up is the fear of loss. And that's why I'm, I'm not a big believer in, you know, saying, you know, you got to be fearless because I don't think any of us can ever be fearless. I think if you are fearless, you're oblivious. Yeah. But I believe all of us can rise to be courageous. And what better to be courageous by being you and then becoming the best you you can be, because otherwise you're just living a lie and trying to be something you're not. And when you can be you, then what's really cool is that desire we all have to really love ourselves. Right. You start to meet somebody that you can really love and respect as you're becoming that person. And that's a transformation that happens throughout our whole life. It doesn't snap a finger and happen. It happens all of our life. But it's great to have that defining moment to say, today, I'm going to be the best version of me I'm going to be. I'm going to share it with the world and take the risk of knowing that some people won't like it. Some people like it, but some people are going to really love it. Right, right. I love that, Bill. I love that. Like my cookies. Not everybody wanted a cookie. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, but it didn't change the fact that my cookies were good. There you go. There you go. And then that basically propelled your whole career, which is yeah. incredible. And you've done some amazing things. You've worked with some incredible people throughout the years. Which, what, what was your favorite experience in your career so far? I literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> I mean, I, because I've had like these monumental experiences, like working venues, certain venues. I mean, I've, I've loved working in Europe. I've loved producing shows in Central Park. I've loved doing shows largest show I ever did. I directed producer for a show in um, just North of Miami for 250,000 people on the beach and doing things of large scope or doing large things where, you know, millions of people are watching. <laughs> Quick side note. One, one of the directors who mentored me when I, when I started in television, I remember him pulling me aside and I can't remember if he put his arm around me, but that's how I kind of remember it and saying, Bill, you just need to know as a director, mistakes leave here at the speed of light. That's all I had to say. It's like, raise your game, Tiger, raise your game, because whatever you do, you're sharing it with the world. But probably one of the coolest things has been the people I've had the privilege of working with. I love working with the best of the best in their field where people have achieved a lot. For example, in the entertainment space, I've loved like directing shows with like the Black Eyed Peas or Maroon 5 or some of these big bands that just really they nailed their gifting and then to bring my gifting to a live show and to collaborate with them is just always a joy because it raises my game uh, as I'm working with their game and they're they're in the same boat I am they're trying to raise their game I particularly loved working with Gwen Stefani in large part because she made me appreciate and cement in my head that there's people that have the it factor. I mean, we all have things that I, I think we're, we have these gifts to do, but there's some people that what I call the difference between the message and the messenger. And there's some people that, are, that have the gift to be a messenger that are very special. And Gwen is one of those, definitely one of those people. Enjoyed working with her. I had probably another great lesson came with working with President Clinton. And this wasn't a political thing. So if you're political, it wasn't that. It was for a documentary project. But that was a great, great 
lesson for me because, you know, working with a president or a former president is like a big deal. And usually he's surrounded by tons of people that are dealing with calendars and he's got this and that. And we did a project where, because I come from the media background, I've got a secret service file that's pretty thick because we've done so many media things with different people in high risk situations. So I got the clearance to go to his home and work with him on this documentary project. And they gave us a really tight window. Boom, do it right here. This is when you do it. And I uh, go in, get everything set up, got everything lined up. And then President Clinton comes in and uh, my producer, Ann and I are there. It's great to meet you. By the way, any president, once they're president, they're always president. So it's always <laughs> Mr. President, by the way. It's not, hey, Bill, it's Mr. President. And then um, he sat down and I gave him the direction. I worked with him. And here's the thing, quick sidebar lesson. Even people at the best of their best in their craft perform better with direction and objectivity. And the best of the best know that. People that don't know that are saying, oh, I got it. Oh, I got, got covered with it. The best of the best know that they work better with objectivity and direction. And all the celebrities I've worked with at the highest level, including uh, uh, President Clinton, all realize that. So he was eager to take direction from me as to what we were doing. Just a reminder, you're never too good not to have objectivity and direction. You'll always raise your game with that. That's the value of coaching. It's the value of mentorship. Just know that. So here I go in and I'm, I'm doing this. And then we get through the whole project. And uh, of course, the, his people, his handlers are like, oh gosh, we got to get him to the next thing. Oh, we got to get him to the next thing. And when he gets up, he turns to me and he just says, Bill, thanks. Thank you. I'll try to do my, my best, Bill. Well, thank, thank you very much. Uh, he goes, when you were here, did you get a chance to look around? I said, well, no, Mr. President. I said, Boy, we've, we've just been hustling since we got here. And he goes, well, hold on. Let, let me take you around. Let me give you the tour. And he begins to take Ann and I on this tour of his whole office complex. He tells me a story about, oh, here I was with the Dalai Lama. And we're doing this. And da, da, da. what we spent another almost a half hour just hanging out as he told me stories and wanted to, to connect. And I was, one, I was honored and intrigued because the stories were fabulous. And as he left, I turned to the Secret Service detail and his admin guy. And I said, does he do that all the time? I said, yeah, you just became his 100,000 and one best friend because that's what he does. And I remember that so clearly, not just because he was the president, but what he gave me was the gift of presence. And it's so powerful when you think about, and it's part, of, I, I think I mentioned in my book about the idea of that relationships aren't just transactional. They're transformational in that a relationship shows that you care, you genuinely care. And one of the greatest ways you can care is to give somebody an ear, your eyes, pay attention to them. Don't just transact. And I realized that his reputation for incredible charisma and warmth and all that was because he had mastered the gift of presence and he realized how powerful it was even for a director that he may or may not ever work with again. Right. But he gave it because it's a high value of his. And that was a monumental moment for me because from that point, I realized that no matter how hurried I am, every human being is worthy to be honored and respected. And love and to the degree that I have the privilege of interacting with somebody means that I want to try as hard as I can to give them the gift of presence. And that's a big one for me, a big one for me. That's 
incredible bill that's incredible just all these different lessons and all these experiences that you've had are unbelievable and that leads me to the question of january 1999 and about that story that you shared with me which was insane i couldn't even believe it when you i was like oh my goodness would you be open to sharing that well yeah yeah it it did become really the driver for me to write my book about relationship marketing and and uh it was a profound experience i mean i would say there's i can't remember who said it i should find this out but there's someone who had said there's two of the most profound dates in your life is one the day you're born and the second is when you understand why why and i think the why part tends to evolve but my my definite why started to really manifest uh, January 28th, 1999. So little context. Yes, I uh, had married my high school sweetheart. I have five kids, but the nature of my business is I travel all the time. And I had, despite all my best intentions, had become somewhat of an absentee husband and father. I'd show up for all the right moments. And uh, this is before I met President Clinton too. (laughs) I wasn't always present. You know, that my son had told me many times later as an adult, said, dad, you know, you were in the same room, but you were not in the same room because you're always thinking about the next project, the next big thing. You're always doing these big things. And we all noticed it. We appreciated that you showed up, but we were hurt that you didn't show up. And that was a gulp lesson. And I think it was something that was stirring at me back in the 90s. And and I had an opportunity to produce a documentary. I thought this could be a change for me because if I do this documentary, like doing a film, you pour yourself into it and you dive intensely into this project and then it goes into distribution and then you make the money on distribution and and all the ancillary revenue that can come through different markets and things like that. And I thought this could be a new model for me. So I produced this documentary and lo and behold, we pick up a distributor in Nashville and not only a distributor, he's going to write us a big check deposit check for the rights to distribute it. Okay. All systems are firing. This is exactly the way we're going to go. And I remember getting on that plane, January 20th, 1999, with the complete sense that today my life is going to change. It just changed differently than what I thought. So as I take off out of Portland, I'm with my best friend, Timothy Greenwich, who's like one of the greatest gospel singers in the world. And he's off to Nashville because he's got some music projects and things like that. And, but about 20 minutes in the flight, I started to feel weird. I couldn't put my finger on it because I'm never, ever, ever sick. But it was like something stirring in me. And it's as if things were closing in. And I remember getting really anxious there. Crap, you know, I don't get sick on a plane, but it got so bad. And I thought I was going to pass out. I turned to Tim. I said, Tim, something's not right. And that's the last thing I said. And as Tim would describe it, my eyes just went back in my head. My arm just flopped by my side and my heart stopped cold. And Tim, at first wondering if he was joking, but realizing, well, something's wrong here. He didn't know CPR, but he didn't know about chest compressions and stuff like that. So he's I'm in the window seat and he starts beating the crud out of me. And Tim is like built like an NFL linebacker, big, big guy. And so his beating on me created quite a scene. Nothing happened. He then took me into the aisle and began doing chest compressions more. And as Tim described it, he said he was just about to take his fist and like bust my ribs. And as he pulls back, I take a breath. And needless to say, it was quite the scene. They ended up doing an emergency landing in Rapid City, South Dakota. That was kind of the way the 
plane was trajectorying. And um, long story short, I ended up being diagnosed with malignant neurocardiogenic syncope, which malignant means you die from it. Neuro's brain, cardio's heart, and syncope means out of sync. And the only thing they know to to fix it is they give you a pacemaker and uh, they don't know what causes it or anything like that. So shortly after that, I get a pacemaker put in my chest. I still have a pacemaker. In fact, this is the pacemaker they put in my chest right here because they replaced it not that long ago when they did that. I said, I want that thing. I paid good money for that. <laughs> and, um, but the, the best part was not only what's happened in my life since then, because I honestly wish everybody could die and then come back because it would change how you live. And in my case, my pacemaker has to go off six times a day. And I uh, go to bed, not always knowing whether I'm going to get up the next morning. And I get up every morning with a sense of wonder and awe that I get another day. And it's with the reverent recognition that every day is a gift, but even more important, every breath is a gift. You see, when I rolled my eyes back and I, I left, I remember everything. And I had a pretty profound after-death experience. And I can tell you, as a kid growing up and the experiences I had with my father, and a lot of times the relationships we have in our life, we superimpose those types of relationships, especially authority relationship, as to what we perceive the divine might be, God might be. And, and for me, I was convinced that if I ever met God, I was going to get, you screwed up. You really suck you really are bad. You really disappointed me. I can hear the echo of all those accusational terms. And by the way, one of the great dangers is even though someone said them and they're gone, like my father's passed away now, is the risk of letting that echo chamber live as you repeat those voices to yourself, especially in moments of fear, moments of concern, moments of comparison, and to be really cautious that those voices can become an echo chamber. And for me, they had become an echo chamber, even though I pushed through it and pushed through it. But when I came face to face and it was face to face with God, I didn't meet that person. Instead, I met the total, total and complete embodiment of love. And it was not just the recognition of, oh, here's someone that knows me. Here's someone that likes me. And I can say this with, this is my experience. I'm not a theologian at all, but I can say this with all my heart that the creator of the universe doesn't just love you, but the creator of the universe is madly in love with you and cares about every fear, every hope, every desire, every dream, and has shed every tear with you. I've hoped every hope. And the creator of the universe is your biggest cheerleader. Mm -hmm. cheering for you to the total fulfillment of all you can become and the joy and the peace and the love. It doesn't mean that things are easy, but it does mean that there's a process that's going to lead to the greatest fulfillment you could ever imagine. And that's the God I met. And it was in that moment that I, I recognized I can trust God. And I can let go of the echo chamber and replace it with the voice of the Almighty that says, you're incredible. I love you. I believe in you. I want you to experience fulfillment. I want you to experience your greatest destiny. And I need your help because together we're going to change the world. So that changed me.
and it's continued to be a journey that that I've gone on because you don't just snap your fingers and get rid of old habits and old sometimes old beliefs and old ruts that you got yourself into. But it, it finally led to me applying the things that I had learned and then applying it to what I'd learned in business, in marketing, in media. And it was out of that that I discovered the seven disciplines. The seven disciplines, I call it seven disciplines of relationship marketing, could be called the seven disciplines of life. That from that framework, we discovered not just a marketing plan, but the framework for creating a movement to change the world. And it starts with each one of us. And so I started writing that book. It took me a long time to do it. But I finally, after uh, the death of my father and just thinking about all I experienced, I realized the last thing I wanted to do was what I did on January 28th, where I bolted out the door. And I can't even remember if I even told the people in my life I loved them. Hmm. And I would hope that the day that any of us leave this world or the day that you leave the room, the last thing people remember about you is they said, you know what? They said they loved me. And I never wanted anybody to not know that they were loved and respected and appreciated and honored. And so that book became not only this incredible document that it's crazy how many people have read this book and fortune 500 companies and emerging entrepreneurs and people that are like stuck and they want to break out of it or they're in a transition say i need a framework they read the book and they come back and uh, and they recognize you know what one of the greatest things we have in this world is the relationships and if we build businesses and enterprises that honor people we can change the world and that's that's really what the book is about and it is my love letter to you, to my family. And if this is the last interview I ever do and something happens, you will have known, by the way, that I love and appreciate you so much and love what you're doing with this program. And I hope people will feel that and believe that and will share that and live that. I love that, Bill. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And everything that you say touches right in the heart, everything everything that you had mentioned. Oh my goodness. It's just so profound. It's one of those stories that just leaves you really speechless and you're just in awe of the person that's in front of you. And that is, that is you, my friend, that is you. I mean, I could feel all of it right here, right in the heart center, truly presence. And my goodness, so many things. And that led you on the journey to spirit media, right. To really lead with purpose, to share the brand story and the brand soul right? Yeah. Power of this world, which is so profoundly beautiful. So profoundly beautiful. And I just, wow. Well, your whole life story is just, I think you need a motion picture on you, my friend. <laughs> I think there needs to be a motion picture about you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my story is not different. I mean, the, some of the episodes are different, but here's the thing that's so important. My story, your story, a lot of our stories really aren't dramatically different. Right. How we do it, what we do it, the timing we do it, but the journey and the lessons are shared. And that's why I hope no one looks at this and goes, wow, well, you know, I can't be like Pam because she's, you know, big developer and all those different things. I can't be like Bill, he's a producer, da, da, da. No, all of us are big in our own way. All of us have a unique, and it's like the idea that right here, I have five fingerprints, you know, and 
our retinas. We have things about us physiologically that make us unique. You know, it's tied to our DNA. We can look at a lot of things and become our signature. Guess what? When I talk about the idea of discovering your brand soul, you are as unique as unique as unique can be. There's no one, no one like you. Your story has unique power. Your journey has unique impact to inspire, to encourage. And if we can just be able to embrace the fact that you are the, like the fingerprint of God and the profound difference you can make, celebrate your uniqueness and quit comparing. Just be the best you you can be. So yeah, it isn't Bill and Pam or whatever. Like, no, it's about you. It's about you. Right. And each of us, I mean, I, I speak to a lot of different healers and all types of amazing people. And they talk about every person is created with a specific code that's tied to their mission in this life. Yeah. Like to the DNA strand, which is so amazing. You think about it and you're sitting here on this earth and you're like, wow, God created me exact to the T, to the color of my eyes, to the color of my hair, every strand of my hair. It's, huh. it's amazing when you think about it, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm here. And look, every single part of me was carefully designed. Every single part, which is- Beautifully too. Yes. Beautifully. Exactly, exactly. Oh man, I love it. And a question for you, because I feel like this is going to be a lot, but if you had to pick one thing that your older self would tell your younger self, what would it be? Oh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things. But the, the first thing that comes to mind, one is God is worthy to be trusted. And you are loved more than you could ask or imagine. Enjoy the journey. It's going to be wild. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give, whether it's from your book or just for anything to anybody who's listening right now that might be struggling to find their purpose or, you know, they're in a, stuck in a rut in their life? What would, what would you be your biggest piece of advice? The first thing would be able to, and this is a style thing. I think all of us, especially when we're feeling stuck or when transition or we're stepping into the unknown or we're maybe dreaming a crazy dream, like, oh, maybe I could do this, is don't let anxiety rule the day. Don't let fear. Because as we think about, this is just a really practical thing. What happens is we do tend to manifest what we focus on. And if, for example, anticipation is one of the most powerful, powerful parts of, of our process and our thinking, and we can anticipate something good happen, or we can anticipate something bad happening. And there was, uh, after my death, you know, I was uh, raised Catholic, and I remember going to, to catechism, and, but there was many, many scriptures and a teaching that I think it was Paul wrote. And he wrote this thing about take captive your thoughts. And the idea that he's one of the great mindset teachers, a lot of people don't realize this. Paul was this incredible, brilliant, highly trained Roman citizen, but ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. But he began writing very from an academic standpoint. And he was one of the great first teachers about mindset. And he said, take captive your thoughts. And the idea that if you anticipate danger, natural progression of that is fear. And the product of fear is either fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. So if you say, okay, if I'm going to anticipate bad things, it leads to fear to a fight, flight, freeze. Guess what? That's not an outcome we want because those are all reactions and they may or may not be right reactions. Okay. However, the mindset, your anticipation is about good. 
even though the journey might be hard, like a lot of people go, it must be bad. No, the road to becoming a gold medal stand person is hard. The road to greatness is hard. The road to working through and becoming the best you can be is hard. So don't buy into the garbage that people say, oh, it's hard. It must not be meant to be because that's not, that's a lie. Hard is actually good in the sense that are you building muscle or are you tearing down muscle? So are you building or are you tearing down? Are you doing those things that feed you or those things that bleed you? So that anticipation instead of leading to fear and reaction should lead to hope, which leads to anticipation of reflection. What do I do with this? How can I move forward? And so the outcome from reaction to reflection from fear to hope, guess where that battle takes place? Right here for all of us. You get to make that choice. And guess what? Even that's going to be hard. And I say that in part because as a marketing guy, I recognize that we get 5,000 to 10,000 brand impressions a day, constantly being bombarded, whether it be social media, billboards, marketing, anything, commercials, TV, everything, product placement, it's all there. And secretly, you know what each one of those messages is saying? You're an inadequate unless you buy this product. And that's the great risk is that subconsciously we are being bombarded with our inadequacy because marketers are trying to sell us something. Now, if in fact you could be better if you had a pacemaker, there's certain practicality to that. But most of it is not necessarily supporting you. A lot of it's manipulative. And you have to be able to sort through that. And that's why... Paul said, take captive, because he recognized that like a prisoner of war that's trying to destroy you and breaking into the walls of your heart and tear down the things that are inside you, so are the thoughts that can come bouncing out. So don't be a victim of that. Instead, take captive. You be in charge of your thoughts. You be in charge of saying, I'm going to focus on hope, not fear. I'm going to be reflective and thoughtful and deliberate and not reactive. You get to do that. So I guess it's a lot of stuff that I would say to my, to my, to my young self, kind of bringing that whole thing into a bow. And it's a practice. It's a muscle that you develop over time, but it's a muscle you have to be deliberate about deciding I'm going to exercise this. And the person I become is going to be stronger and have more stamina and have more wisdom and have more insight. You're so amazing. And in the next six to 12 months, what's up in your world? What's up in Bill's world? Well, a lot of stuff going on right now. The uh, big things kind of related to the company. I mean, Spirit Media Agency, which is some brand impressions back here. I'm in the studio here. We've just come through a crazy season of a lot of virtual events. And we are now more than ever producing interactive internet television. So corporate communications, sales communications, marketing communications, entertainment communications, fundraising. We're doing through our studio and through live. So from the business standpoint, the the need to communicate and connect on a really profound fun level is really growing. And, and so our agency is producing a lot of videos and producing a lot of virtual and hybrid events around that. Uh, the other thing is the seven disciplines. I'm really excited to tell you that while the book and the Kindle and the Audible has been available on Amazon for several months now, I keep having people saying, teach me the system, walk me through it, take me by the hand. And I've learned that. I'm one of the products of those. If you have the opportunity of a do-it-yourself or having a mentor, 
get a mentor, get a director, get a coach. And so we are rolling out the seven disciplines, a workshop series where we're going to take small groups, whether it's someone that's an emerging entrepreneur, or it's a business that says, look, I'm stuck and I need to break out of it. Or it's business that says I'm in transition. I want to make sure I'm on the right framework to do this. We're taking people through a 10 to 12 week program that we're going to start launching in September and October, November, December. So we're going to do one every month that's going to come out. And so anybody that says, oh, I would love to be able to do that. And that would include both a video series. And then I will personally mentor the group to walk you through the seven disciplines. Because you say, I want to know my brand soul. That's what we start with. Discover your brand soul and why you're in this universe and who you're called to serve and how you make the biggest impact through your business and your life. So we're excited about launching that. And I've never done small group workshops before. So even though the content is rock solid, you're going to have to put up with me learning how to go, hey, I'm the teacher. Let's walk. (laughs) I'm going to tell you stories. I'm going to tell you lessons, you know, but that's probably the big thing. And we're excited about rolling that out this year. That's incredible, Bill. How exciting. That's incredible. And it sounds like a very fun workshop. And then to tie it in and bring your book to life, the seven disciplines of relationship marketing. I mean, that's what better way to do it than to do it through the workshops, which is amazing. Now, Bill, you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your book and everything and all your awesomeness. Sure, sure, sure. Well, the easiest, I mean, you can find our our agency is spiritmedia.com. The book, I have got a landing page, a very simple landing page. It's seven the number seven, drm.com. You know, but if, if if you say, boy, these workshops sound fascinating, I will give you my email. I'll give you my, because <laughs> this is just us, okay? <laughs> I'll give you my personal email. It's bill, B-I-L-L, at spiritmedia.com. And if it's something that you say, yeah, I'm really interested in this. I want to work with your agency, or I want to learn about the seven disciplines, or I want to apply it to my group or do a workshop, just email me bill at spiritmedia.com. And of course, the way we met, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you find Bill Dolan on LinkedIn. I post uh, semi-regularly those things from my heart. So if you want to connect me there, boom, I'm there for you. You're amazing, Bill. It was such an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your wisdom. It was just incredible. I'm here in awe and I'm sure anyone who's listening right now is on the same boat. So thank you for being you and for what you bring to the world and continue to bring to the world. Thank you, Bill. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.